On this episode, I'm in the room with Pastor Elliot Grudem talking about growing up in and raising kids in a ministry home. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 18. I'm Ryan Hughley, and I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me online at ryanhughley.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at ryanhughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I have a simple goal to bring you in the room for what I hope are interesting and helpful conversations with a diverse group of guests, including pastors, professors, authors, and artists. Today, I'm in the room with Pastor Elliot Grudem. He's the lead pastor of leadership development and church planting at Vintage Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. In our conversation, we discuss growing up with prominent theologian Wayne Grudem for a dad, mistakes ministry parents make, and how he and his wife work to make being a pastor's kid a positive for their children. Elliot's been an encouraging and supportive friend to me for a while now, so I'm glad that you get to listen in. So get settled and come on in the room for my conversation with Elliot Grudem. Well, Elliot, thanks so much for taking time to do this. Absolutely. Uh, Looking forward, really would like to focus in and talk about uh, both growing up in and raising kids in a ministry home. Yeah. As you grew up in a ministry home, you're a pastor now and raising kids in the church, which is awesome. And uh, so uh, for those that don't know, I actually don't know. I know you've moved around a little bit, but uh, where were you? Where like, where are you from originally? Uh, well, I was born in Cambridge, England. Uh, my okay. dad was over there working on his PhD. Uh, from there, we moved uh, to uh, just outside Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, okay. We taught at Bethel College for a couple of years and then um, spent most of my life growing up in the suburbs of Chicago. All right. Where uh, out here in was, Chicago were you at? Uh, we lived in uh, Lincolnshire oh, okay. and uh, lived in uh, Libertyville. Okay. Uh, my dad was at Trinity Seminary in Deerfield. Uh-huh. And uh, so the the northern suburbs uh, okay. of Chicago. And so uh, your dad both taught at Trinity, and then he was also an elder in a local church in Libertyville, was he not? Uh, he was an elder in a local church uh, in Libertyville, and uh, also planted a church in Mundelein, or oh, helped plant a church. Part okay, of cool. Planted a, planted you, a church in Mundelein. Do you have siblings, or are you an only child? I have two younger brothers. Uh, One is three years younger than me. The other is six years younger than me. Okay. So your parents were believers. Uh, I know that and are believers. Do you come from a long line? Like what's your spiritual legacy, if you will? Uh, Does Christians kind of go a long way back in your family? Well, on one side of the family, it goes all the way back to William Bradford, who was the, uh, who was the pastor on the Mayflower. Wow. Um, So a a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, But yeah, um, on both sides, uh, both my, uh, both, uh, both sides of my family, mom and dad's side, uh, both grandparents were believers. Okay. And, um, uh, let's see on my, my great grandparents were mostly dead by the time I can remember. Uh, but I know on my, on my father's side, um, the one great grandmother, uh, was a, was a strong believer as well as, um, her, uh, her second husband, her first husband died. Okay. Uh, and then the second man, uh, that she married, uh, was also a strong believer. So yeah, okay. we have, yes, the answer, uh, that's a long way of saying yes. Yeah. Uh, we have a, uh, we have a fairly long Christian yeah. heritage. That's a pretty awesome gift. 
Yeah, it's cool. It's super, super cool. So um, people, I mean, may or may not know, put together from your last name, but your dad is Wayne Grudem, mm-hmm. famous theologian. I mean, if you can be famous as a theologian. That's right. Usually <laughs> you're not famous till you're dead, but uh, he seems to be doing all right. I'm just this genuine curious, like, what's it like growing up with a systematic theologian for a dad? Like, what was home life like for you guys? Yeah, you know, I'd like to think it was pretty normal. Um, I knew that my dad trained pastors. Um, but, uh, you know, growing up, um, you know, the most that I knew he taught more, I knew that he taught Greek, uh, than, uh, than really understanding, um, especially as a younger child, exactly what systematic theology was. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I knew he was working on a long book. Um, and I think it took about 10 years for him to finish the systematic theology book. Wow. Um, but, but didn't, uh, didn't have a full grasp of all the topics. Yeah. Um, and so really it was, it was less growing up with a systematic theologian and more growing up with a guy, uh, who really understood the Bible, uh, had a deep relationship with God and that when I had questions about God and the Bible, um, and uh, that he was the guy, uh, he was the guy to go to. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a little bit different, I think, than maybe, I mean, I, you know, if you define theology as, you know, the application of scripture to life, you know, he's doing theology with us. Um, but it was never under the guise of let's sit down and have theology lessons. It was more, you know, hey, when you've got a question about life, the Bible's the thing that you turn to. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the Bible's, uh, you know, within the scriptures, we have, uh, we have, you know, what we need uh, for life and godliness. Yeah. Was your, was your home life fun? When I think about like having fun, I don't think about like, you know what I want to do is surround myself with some theologians. Right. right, So, so in general, like was home life fun for you? There was laughter, there was obvious joy in your home. Yeah, absolutely. A ton of laughter. And, um, you know, I have more memories of playing football in the front yard with my dad, uh, than, uh, than I do sitting down and having intense theological discussions. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So again, um, it was, uh, you know, I'd like to think it was normal. I don't have another childhood to compare it to. Sure. Um, but, uh, but, you know, very much enjoyed it and, um, and very much, you know, found my dad to be a, you know, a regular dad yeah. more than a, and always thought of him as a regular dad rather than a theologian. Yeah. Was your, uh, like, was family worship a pretty regular component in your family? You know, it, it was, um, less than a, less than a formal sense of, um, but, uh, well, you know, it, I guess it depends on the age. So um, one of the things that I'm maybe most thankful for that my dad did from an early age uh, was uh, was every night we'd uh, as uh, as kids uh, read the Bible and pray. And um, while as a child, I kind of was like, really, do we really have to do this again? Right, right. Um, You know, can we just skip a night? Um, and it wasn't, um, you know, tried to make it exciting. We read the stories that were fun. So I spent a lot of time in the book of judges with, you know, two other brothers, um, (laughs) you know, read those stories again. Um, but, uh, but what it provided for me is just because there was that regular repetition of reading stories from the Bible at a young age, um, it gave me a real familiarity with the scriptures and a love for the scriptures, um, as a, uh, as a young child. That though I would be frustrated at times or embarrassed when a friend would be over, uh, you know, and here's my dad reading the Bible in front of a friend who's not a believer. Yeah. Um, now I have a I have a love for the scriptures and understanding yeah. of the scriptures, um, just because now I've got uh, maybe not quite forty years, but I don't know thirty. 38 years yeah. of, uh, of, um, of engagement with the scriptures. And so for that, I'm really thankful. Yeah. So even if you guys had friends over, 
you guys, that was still like, we're still going to get into the word and we're still going to pray, even if they weren't believers. That, yeah, it was. And yeah. And, uh, and those were probably some of the times where, you know, I was most embarrassed about it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I still think it was a right and a good thing. And it yeah. never was, you know, it never was a weird thing again. It was always, uh, you know, it was, um, it was more story based. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Regular, awesome. Very regular thing. Yeah. So you're, you're married now and, uh, a pastor in North Carolina. What, tell me, tell me a little bit about, uh, what you're doing at, out at Vintage now. Yeah. So Vintage Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, I, uh, yeah, I spend most of my time working with uh, working with pastors, both inside this church and outside the church, uh, helping them um, stay healthy and uh, you know um, yeah, stay healthy and stay in ministry. Oh. Um, and uh, so I do that with uh, uh, with guys that have been lead pastors for a while uh, that have faced you know kind of hit a roadblock or hit a challenge or wondering if you know hey the last five ten years have been like this. I don't know that I want to put another five ten years. Uh, in the church like this and helping them kind of navigate, maybe even develop some different patterns of the way they do ministry and different thoughts about uh, the way they think about ministry and think about the role within the church. And then I also work with guys that want to plant churches and helping them uh, start on a different trajectory as they plant those churches That's than great. I did or uh, some of my other peers did. Yeah. And so you're married to your wife, Casey. How long have you guys yep. been married? Married. Uh, it'll be uh, 19 years uh, this December. Awesome. How many kids do you have? Uh, we have one daughter. Uh, she'd be 10 in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Yeah. So you are uh, a pastor now, loving husband and dad. Um, what are so as you kind of reflect on the upbringing that you had, you've already talked a little bit about the family worship piece. What are some things that you're aware of that you have, or maybe you haven't thought much about it, but that you've kind of replicated as a result of what you experienced growing up yeah. in a ministry home? Yeah. So uh, a couple of things. One, I mean, replicate, we read the Bible every night uh, together. Um, it's as she's grown older, it's moved from, uh, you know, a Jesus storybook Bible to the, to the Bible. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, uh, read a Bible story each night, uh, pray together uh, each night. Um, and, uh, and then as she is facing challenges, uh, as it relates to, you know, being fearful, uh, in the night, um, we address that with prayer. Not everything's going to be okay, but yeah. hey, let's pray and ask Jesus to help. Yeah. And, uh, and have worked everything from, you know, in those prayers as she's gotten older, uh, from, um, you know, I, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is bigger than the monsters that you think are in your closet. Sure. Um, and he can definitely take care of those. To uh, to now it's um, hey let's you know let's 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 pray the twenty third psalm together yeah. uh, or what would it be like to um, to repeat Psalm one twenty seven he gives sleep to those he loves hmm. uh, over and over and over again um, as uh, and just kind of and you know drive that reality into your head um, as opposed to it's okay there are no monsters in the closet or it's okay um, you know you know it's going to be okay yeah. Yeah. You know, your fears are irrational. Yeah. Um, but instead, instead addressing the fears with um, how can Jesus meet you in the midst of those fears and how can Jesus be bigger than the things that, um, that, are, that are causing you fear right now. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about your dad. What was your mom like and what was her role like in your life when you think about her? Like, what are some of the things that come to mind about her? Uh, you know, again, I mean, uh, you know, wonderful, loving mom, uh, very caring, uh, knew uh, she was always for me. Uh, and, uh, always loved me and always wanted the best for me. 
um, you know, as it relates to, you know, spirituality uh, very much. Um, again, hey, we've got a problem. Let's address it with prayer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that was, you know, that was really, really a good thing um, and, a, and a good um you know, it's one of those things, you, you know, it was so natural, something you didn't think about. Uh, but, uh, but I've been very thankful for the way it's helped me through the rest of, you know, through life since I've left the home and now uh, as I'm raising my daughter. Yeah. Uh, as, a, as a pastor and a parent, what are some of the things that you're doing to try to make being a pastor's kid? You know, it's such a negative for mm-hmm. so many people. Yeah. What are some of the things, um, whether you have really thought about and tried to be intentional about it or not, what are some of the things that you've done that you guys do to make it a positive rather yeah. than the negative that it is for so many kids? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A couple things. I mean, um, one, uh, on Sundays, uh, especially as I was, uh, as I was a church planter, um, my daughter gets to break rules that no other kid gets to break. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, so when she was younger, um, you know, uh, I'd get up to do the benediction uh-huh. and she would sometimes run from her seat and grab my leg. Um, and I just let her grab my leg yeah. and, uh, and I go ahead and do the benediction. She's my daughter. She has yeah. enough pressure on her uh, on awesome. Sunday anyway to act. And, uh, so if she wants to break a rule, that's not going to hurt the rest of the church. She can do that. Yeah. Can another kid do that? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and I've got no problem explaining that to their parents. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, so there's things like that. Um, try to, uh, try to make church as much as, uh, as much as I can, a fun place for her. Uh, so one of the things we do as elders, uh, here at vintage is once a year, we have a party just for the children of the elders. Huh. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and emphasize from the start, hey, um, uh, you're pastor's kids, and that makes you some of the most special kids in the world. Totally. And uh, so here, come have a run of the church, play hide and seek in the church. We get bounce houses, um, you know, eat ice cream till you get sick. That's uh, awesome. And do that all in the context of the church. So the church really is a fun, special place for you. And you actually see, hey, you know, coming here on Sunday can sometimes be frustrating or a little bit of a chore uh, because you don't get to see your dad. Uh, you don't get to sit with him. Uh, he's often busy talking to other people. Uh, so let's make the church a, you know, a really fun place. Uh, we could do that, you know, throw, you know, we throw the, we up on the big screen and they play. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, so we try to do that as well. Um, you know, try to emphasize, uh, that, um, try to emphasize not the negative, but the privilege that she has to be involved in ministry with us. And so if we're hoping in our home for a group of pastors to come over, letting her think through how can we care for these pastors? And so letting her be a pro, you know, part of the process. Hey, you know, you know, come pick out if we're going to do some hospitality baskets, come pick out the hospitality basket um, yeah. with me, decide what goes in there. Would you like to write a note welcoming them to the house? That's awesome. Um, and if you've got to be out of the house during these couple of hours, um, making sure I thank her and actually asking some of the pastors to write her a note that says, Hey, thank you for giving up your home so we could be here. We really appreciated it. Um, and we really benefited from it. And yeah. so letting her as, um, as much as she can be involved in that ministry process. And then, um, never saying, Hey, you're a pastor's kid. Um, you've got to behave this certain way That's good. or wow, you're really embarrassing dad by the way you're behaving. Yeah. Um, but instead, if there's a behavioral issue we need to address at home or at church, um, you know, it, it's more in the, I love you, God loves you, you're a follower of, uh, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, this is a followers of Jesus act, yeah. not this is a pastor's kids act. Sure. Um, and so making that a, make, make, making that a very normal thing. And then, um, 
you know, encouraging her as she finds ways she wants to get involved in ministry yeah. um, and doing ministry and caring for people, uh, really encouraging that and using um, the, I don't know, powers, maybe not the right word, but, yeah. but using, using the ability that I have as a pastor in the church to really allow her to kind of express uh, express yourself, uh, you know, in, in those ways of ministry. Yeah. One of the, seems like one of the most destructive things that you hear that <clears throat> pastors, kids experience is the pressure that is put on them, even, even verbally in the church by other people yep. in the church, yep. even if it's not their parents. I don't know if that's something that you experienced at all growing up or that your daughter has experienced but, um, like, what are your thoughts on, how to, I'm like, I haven't really had that yet too much because yeah, yeah, we've tried yeah. to really protect that from the beginning. But yep. if, and when it does happen, how, how do you address that both yeah. with your, with your children yep. and with the people that does not involve murdering the people in your church right, right. Yeah, that yeah, treat yeah, your yeah, kid yeah. like that? Yeah. You know, and I, I think, I think it's not just verbal. I think there's also, depending on the kid, um, it can also be just assumed expectations. Yeah. Um, cause you carry, you know, to carry the name of your father and, uh, walk into the church. And, um, you know, one of the challenges she will always face is everybody knows who she is, even though she doesn't know who, not everybody, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. most people in the yeah. church know who she is, whether, you know, she knows them or not, yeah. um, and even assume things about her. And so, um, really encouraging her to be your own person. Um, and, uh, you know, um, you know, encouraging her when she does well and loving her when she makes mistakes. Um, and then, you know, when, if the expectations, uh, come, you know, I just address those individually. Um, but I wouldn't just address them with the individual. I'd address them with her as well yeah. and let her know. I think that's a wrong expectation for them to have of her yeah. that, that she really needs to be a, she really needs to be a nine-year-old. Yeah. And, uh, that's how I'd address the, uh, that's how I'd address the expectation that comes. Hey, you know what? You know, she's six, she's eight, she's nine. Yeah. Um, let's let her be a nine-year-old. Right. And you know what? Um, I think Jesus is probably pretty pleased with the expression of her faith as a nine-year-old yeah. um, uh, and, uh, and doesn't have the expectations for her that you do. Yeah. What, what are some of the most common, I mean, you've been in the ministry since birth, basically in the church around pastors. What are some of the most common, maybe parenting mistakes that you see ministry leaders make? Um, gosh. Uh, well, I think probably the most common is, um, is sacrificing your family for the sake of your ministry. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's probably, uh, number one. Yeah. Um, you know, whether even you, even if you don't say it directly, um, but making your kids feel like ministry is more important. What are uh, some ways that you can think of that, like that you've seen that, 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 that people do that? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's everything from, uh, you know, you're out, uh, you're out X number of nights a week, yeah. uh, to, um, you know, for me, I remember I was out at the, uh, um, I was out at a bookstore, uh, it was the Barnes and Noble in the children's section. We just sitting reading books. My daughter and I were on a date and, um, you know, my phone dinged for a text message from someone from the church and, and I grabbed my phone and looked at the message and, um, she got real quiet and uh, I said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, well, you know, you know, the difference between you and mom, when mom and I go out together, um, she doesn't answer her phone every time it dings. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Good point taken. I get it now. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but really, you know, letting her know that, um, that, you know, I mean, uh, you know, outside of a true emergency, which they're, I mean, true emergencies aren't as often as we like to say they are in ministry. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
uh, outside of a true emergency that, that, you know, when I've got time with her, she's really got priority. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I think, so I think that that's, um, you know, or it's, uh, you know, whether, whether it's a small thing, every time your phone rings, uh, whether it is a, um, uh, you know, an emphasis thing that all you talk about is church at home, uh, whether, um, you know, I was guilty of this on Saturdays a lot when I was preaching every Sunday, um, I would be, uh, I'd be physically present, but mentally absent. Yeah. Um, because you know, I wrongly communicated to, uh, to my daughter, my wife, that what I was going to say on Sunday was more important than what I could say to them right then. Yeah. Um, uh, which is just, you know, which is just wrong. Yeah. Um, so I think, so I think, I think that's, I think that's, uh, I think that's probably the most common. Yeah. Um, you know, the other, I think, you know, another one is, uh, I think sometimes, uh, pastors, uh, can get their identity, uh, or wrap their identity as a pastor up and how their kids behave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so put wrong expectations on their kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard one pastor recently was talking to him as, um, you know, it was, uh, every time they pulled into the church parking lot, it's, Hey, get your church face on. Oh. Um, uh, which, which, you know, meant, Hey, it doesn't matter what happened up to this point. Right. Uh, now, you know, now you've got it, you know, now, now your, your spirituality is a hundred percent based on your performance. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, I think another thing and, you know, man, this is a really tough thing, but, um, you know, I think one of the reasons that Paul wants, uh, you know, calls for faithful children as a requirement of an elder, um, is that, uh, he wants to make sure that the, that the pastor dad is communicating the gospel in home, in the home in a way that's really winsome. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so again, you don't want to give your best to everybody outside the home. Um, and then just come home so exhausted that you just emotionally shut down. Yeah. Um, or that, uh, you view your, you view your kids question about spirituality as just another, you know, you know, another 30 minutes that you've got to spend at the office. Sure. Um, not at all, you know, have the opportunity to really communicate with a ton of energy, a ton of engagement, a ton of excitement. Um, you know, when they start asking about spiritual things, um, and I, I think one of the other ways they can do that is, um, uh, they can be overzealous about expecting their children to perform or engage, um, uh, with, you know, the, the things of God at a level, that's just not appropriate to their age. Yeah. That's, good. um, you know, so pastors, you know, I've, a lot of pastor friends, um, they want to make a hundred percent certain, uh, uh, for those who, you know, believe in, um, you know, uh, believers baptism, uh, you know, they only baptize, you know, professing believers. They want to make a hundred percent certain that their kids, um, you know, have this, have this 100% rock solid profession of faith. Yeah. Um, when maybe they could actually encourage the spirituality, um, if they would baptize them with the same zeal and excitement, um, at a six year old's profession of faith or an eight year old's profession of faith, yeah. um, that they would any other kid that would come forward, yeah. um, uh, you know, for baptism. That's good, man. I appreciate that. I don't know about you, but I hate long ads in the middle of a good podcast I'm enjoying, so I'm going to keep this short. I am unashamedly committed to getting this podcast into as many ears as possible, and for that, I need your help iTunes is the primary place I drive the podcast and your reviews help increase our visibility there. So do me a favor. If you're enjoying this episode, will you take 60 seconds, log on to iTunes and leave a short review? That's it. Every review makes a huge impact. I promised I'd keep this short. So thanks for your support. And now back to the conversation. Um, as, since you're working with pastors on, 
on issues of, of health and priority and, and people who are burnt out from these last five years, not sure I want to go again. I think that it stands to reason that I, I know that a healthy parent does not always guarantee a healthy child. There can be right. extenuating circumstances, but I would say that the likelihood of raising a healthy child as an unhealthy parent is pretty slim. I so would think so, yeah. What what are what are some of the things that as you're interacting with pastors that you're seeing are unhealthy priorities, un, unhealthy patterns in their lives? Like what are the most common things that you're seeing and interacting with them that, that's really shipwrecking their ability, not only to pastor their churches in a healthy manner, but also to pastor their families as well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um, especially with church planners, uh, high capacity leaders, hard driving leaders, um, we have a tendency early on, uh, to realize that what we feel, what we want, uh, doesn't really matter. Um, but, uh, but that, uh, we get a ton of praise for our ability to produce. Um, yeah. and so we have always been the guys that, uh, that have produced more, accomplished more, uh, from a very early age, uh, can carry more, uh, can do more in 40 hours that we probably fudge that and push it to 50 or 60, but we only claim 40, yeah. um, can do more in that period of time. Cause we don't count what we work on Sunday, um, yeah. can do more in that period of time, uh, than, than most other people could. And so. We really kind of live in the world of our head and our hands, um, you know, and uh, any new challenge that comes in our, our way, we don't even ask if we want to do it. Um, we just kind of stuff our feelings and just we get it. You know, we live in the world of figure it out and get it done. Yeah. Um, how are you going to do that? I don't know. Figure it out. Uh, what are you going to do uh, with all this stuff you got to do? I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and get it done. What that winds up doing is we do an end around our heart and become really um, emotionally disengaged. Um, and we think that we can just be emotionally disengaged in work. Um, but when you're emotionally disengaged at work, you tend to be emotionally disengaged at home as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not like something you can turn on and turn off, uh, and, uh, that we think we can. And so I think that's, I think that's the number one thing is just that emotional disengagement, um, that, uh, that shows up, um, not just at church, but also at home. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, another thing is, um, you know, never slowing down, never resting. Um, you know, we tend to think the best way, you know, pastors are always under stress because there's always more to get done just because it's ministry with people. Sure. Um, pushing back the curse of sin uh, <clears throat> that um, we always carry, you know, a small amount of anxiety and stress with us um, and an unfinished task list. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we foolishly think that the best way to deal with that stress and anxiety uh, at its core is to work. Uh, that somehow if we actually clear this task list out, then the stress will be done and we'll actually be able to rest. When Jesus says instead, hey, if you're, if you're tired and you're worn out, come to me and I'll give you rest. Don't work your way to me. Just come to me right. and, uh, and I'll give you rest and I'll, I'll go ahead and reprioritize that for you. Yeah. Um, I think the third thing they do uh, is... Um, uh, they're, uh, they're always giving, never receiving. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, we're great at giving and serving, uh, but we're lousy at receiving. And at the end of the day, if you're always giving, you actually turn into a lousy receiver because at some <laughs> point, uh, you've got nothing left to give. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and so, you know, one of the places we refuse to receive is we refuse to actually ask for help. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, what that can look like at home is we just redirect our energy. Um, so, you know, we're always the guy that has to do it uh, at work. And we just come home and we just become the guy that has to do it at home. 
and uh, and we don't allow others, uh, you know, um, others others to serve or give to us. Um, and I think the final thing is, um, you know, it's not like any of us got out of this to make money at it, sure. um, and uh, it's not really a money making profession. <laughs> um, and uh, so what that means is that um, you know, often uh, vacation and um, breaks um, are either uh, around going to see our families, you know, our extended families at Christmas, um, or going on some type of ministry related vacation. Um, neither of those are super relaxing much of the time. You're exactly right. Neither of those really are vacation. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that, um, man, I really encourage pastors, um, to, uh, to put regular, uh, you know, to find a way to put in their budget. It doesn't have to be extravagant some type of family vacation that truly is a vacation uh, where it's just them and their family and they just go and they do all the stuff that nobody, you know, that, um, just, just the stuff that they want to do. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, and it's really enjoyable and relaxing for their family. Yeah. Well, you've, you've worked at uh, a hand, like, so you planted a church, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, and then you transitioned from there, went and worked out in Seattle for a while. And then with Acts 29, and then now you're back, uh, in North Carolina at vintage. And so I'm kind of curious how I know your daughter was young for much of that, Yeah, but it's for, for the average pastor, the likelihood that they work in one church, their whole life is pretty slim. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that that transitions hard on the pastor. It's hard on, uh, the pastor's spouse. It's hard on children. You get, you invest in these relationships and then uproot and start over. Yeah. So what have been, I've talked with you a little bit about this before, but what have been some of the ways that you have worked to help shepherd your family in the midst of those transitions from, I mean, transitions in general, moving is hard, but specifically from ministry to ministry, what have been some ways that you've gone about that? You know, it, uh, first I'd say for us, it's just, I mean, we've experienced it's just hard. I mean, yeah. there's no way to, there's, there's no other way around that. Um, and, uh, you know, especially from a relational standpoint, um, that, you know, friends for pastors, um, are rare, uh, friends that they can, uh, that they feel like they can really trust uh, are rare. Is that why do you think, I don't mean to interrupt you, but is that like, you think that's why the main reason why friendship is rare and hard for pastors is just hard to know who to trust or like, what is that? Yeah, I, th- I think that's part of it. I think also that, um, honestly, I think the best friends for pastors are fellow pastors yeah, um, and, uh, and pastors outside their church. And then I think, honestly, especially for men, um, the older we get, the more intentional we have to be in our relationships. Hmm. Um, and, uh, um, and there's always another challenge in front of us. Yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, time, you know, intentional relational time can seem like a waste of time um, because it doesn't seem like it's ministry oriented. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, and so, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, pastors, especially as it relates to friendship need to realize that um, there are relationships that they have in the church that are more ministry related than anything. Yeah. Um, And they're great to have and they're fun to have. Yeah. um, But that those aren't those type of deep mutually giving friendships uh, that they, that they need. Um, and, uh, so I just think, man, I mean, with the pastors I work with, uh, especially the, uh, the ones that have been in ministry five or more years, um, you know, I just, you know, I encourage them that, Hey, you need friends. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the Lilly foundation spent, uh, over $80 million over 10 years to discover what it takes for pastors to stay in ministry over the long haul. And they said the number one thing that'll keep them in ministry is a, is a group of peers, 
um, huh. fellow pastors that they're not in church together that they meet with on a regular basis. Really? Um, and so that's the type of intentionality I encourage with pastors. Uh, and, uh, and then as it, as they get to know other pastors better, I just say, man, have the goofy intentional conversation that says, Hey, you know what? I need a friend. I don't yeah. even know what it means to be a friend. I don't know what it means for you to be my friend. Um, but could we just explore what it means to be friends together? Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, start from there and, and see where the Lord takes it. Yeah, that's good. So anyways, I interrupted you. That, I, that was worth it, no, by good. the way. But so, uh, so it's hard. That's like yep. the first thing. Just difficult friendship is for them to change or to evolve over time is difficult, yeah. both yep. for the pastor and for the family. Yep. So, yep. so other than, I think that's really, I think it's really important to just maybe set correct expectations in the mm-hmm. beginning to just acknowledge like there's like a really high possibility this is going to just suck and be hard. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so what are some other things in the midst of that? You know, I think that, um, I think that, uh, another thing is that, um, you know, as, as you evaluate where you're called to minister, um, man, you know that you're called to be married to the person you're married to. Yeah. Uh, and you know that you're called to father the children that God has blessed you with. Good. Those, those are certainties, uh, location of ministry. That's an uncertainty. Hmm. Um, because the scriptures don't say, Hey, you need to go minister in this specific location. Right. And so I really encourage pastors when they think about where they're supposed to, or where they're called to go minister to really consider their family. Yeah. Where's your family cut out to be? And we just came to the conclusion that, um, as much as we enjoyed Seattle, um, that, uh, once that job was over, uh, as we started looking, we're just cut out better to fit in the Southeast and we don't need to apologize for that. Yeah. Um, we just think that's how God's created us. Yeah. And, uh, and those are the passions he's given us. And you know what, um, man, it might not make everybody's top 10 list of hard places in the world. Um, but you know what, I don't think God's called us to minister in everybody's top 10 hard places in the world. I think he's called to minister. I think he's made my family a minister in the Southeast good um and uh so i think i think that's the second thing in that and then you know third is like you know as uh as you get in there um give your wife and uh and your kids the freedom to make their own friends um Hmm. encourage them in that but don't force it Uh, let them pick their friends um and uh and as they do do everything you can to celebrate uh the you know the the relationships that they have yeah um and uh and then finally just be patient with them yeah. Um, don't lie about it. Don't, you know, don't make it greater than it is. Um, uh, don't, um, what would I say? Um, don't force them out of their suffering, hmm. um, until the Lord is ready to bring them out of it That's and acknowledge that for them, their significant part of their significant suffering may just be the loneliness that they initially feel or the sense of loss. And gosh, I mean, um, I'm not going to get on my daughter or my wife uh, if she says that she misses friends yeah. um, that she had um, or she's lonely, uh, because all that means is she's engaging with the way God's created her to be. Yeah. Um, he created us for relationship. And so if we lose that relationship, we can mourn the loss of that. Yeah. Um, or if we feel lonely, uh, great. All that does is, you know, that one of the things that does that reminds us that God made us for relationship. And so instead of, you know, beating them up because they feel that, yeah. uh, instead just praising the Lord that, um, you know, he's given the capacity for relationship, given the desire for it. Yeah. And, uh, and let's pray alongside that, uh, that he meets him in the midst of that need. Yeah. I know like for me, when there's, 
maybe natural things that my wife or my kids are feeling that I'm, I'm prone to try to, I love that idea of not forcing them out of their suffering before God's ready for them. I know for me anyways, it tends to be my own insecurity Mm -hmm. um, or guilt about if it's a decision maybe that I've made that has been, um, been the cause of part yeah. of what they're feeling. I think that it pings this insecure, like well, maybe I was wrong. I shouldn't have yeah. done that. Yeah. And so my, it's a very selfish, very unloving, like I need you to stop feeling that way so that I feel better. Right. 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 And yeah, that, uh, yeah. that's I, super messed up. Yeah. I think that, you know, but I, I think it's also very insightful, Ryan, in terms of um, letting them be two separate issues. You and Jesus need to deal with your insecurity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, even if you made the wrong decision, realize that he still loves you. Yeah, that's um, good. and, uh, and then you need to come alongside your wife and your daughter. And, you know, I think that's where you have the opportunity to gauge with them, even on an emotional level, um, instead of telling them all the reasons that you understand it could be harder or understand or all the reasons it should be better or they should enjoy this. Yeah. Um, come alongside and say, you know, honey, um, man, you know, daddy feels lonely too. Yeah. Or daddy feels sad too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and dad, you know, there's some days where dad finds it really hard to be here. Yeah. Um, uh, cause he misses his friends uh, at home too. Yeah. But you know what? It's okay that you feel that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I know one of my, <clears throat> I think one of my greatest, if not my greatest fear is to pastor and shepherd even well, grow a healthy church and, uh, lose the hearts of my kids in the midst of that. And, uh, this topic for me, uh, it can be very overwhelming and I'm sure it is for a lot of pastors. Uh, so if, uh, if you were just going to encourage pastors to one or two things as parents, um, that you think are like, like, these are the things that are most important. Let's not, there's lots of things we can do. Let's not make it so complicated that we Mm -hmm, drown in mm -hmm. the details. One or two things kind of in conclusion that you would say, I think whether it was from what your parents did, what you guys are doing and seeing fruit with one or two things that you think are really important to like, let's do this. And we're going to really trust God with, with the results. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I I think it's what you said. Ultimately it's, um, you know, ultimately they're not, your hearts to lose. They're Jesus hearts and they're Jesus children. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, he loves them more than you do. Um, and so realizing that from the start, I mean, I think, I think most important thing you can do as parents, um, is, uh, fall deeply in love with the person of Jesus. You yourself become enthralled with Jesus uh, and become absolutely fixated on his beauty. Um, you do that. The people that see you in the most variety of settings, uh, your children, your wife, they see you when you're not on, but when you're off and when you're tired and when you're stressed and yeah. overwhelmed with life, um, let them see you run to Jesus whom you love deeply yeah. and know loves you deeply. Yeah. Um, they'll catch that. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and they will find Jesus to be equally as attractive. Um, so that's number one. Yeah. And then number two, um, man, you know, what's your role in anybody's conversion? Just bring them to Jesus and let him do the work. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and so don't stress out about it as much. There's a book that I read early on um, by Steve Smallman. It's a little booklet called uh, How Our Children Come to Faith. And Steve was a mentor of mine, um, but still is. Uh, and that book was maybe the most freeing book as it relates to parenting hmm. that I've ever read. Can you still get that made, book? 
you can still get it. All right. um, it's all of maybe 20 pages. Okay. Uh, and the main point is, um, but still go buy the book, even though you hear the main point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if parents quit stressing, bring your kids to Jesus. Um, and, uh, and just, and just keep pointing to Jesus and let, and let his spirit do the work. You can't force conversion on your kids any more than, uh, um, than you can force it on anybody else in your congregation. Yeah. And, uh, so just, you know, do what you do with anybody else. Point them to Jesus, remind them of the beauty of it. You yourself love and engage with Jesus and, uh, and then just trust that he's going to do something with it. That's awesome. That's a great period at the end of this conversation, man. I appreciate your time very much. Absolutely. It's good. Cool, man. Thanks for doing it. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Elliot is a gift to me, and I hope this conversation was a blessing to you. If you're not following Elliot on Twitter, make sure you find his link in the show notes and check out All God's Doing at Vintage Church in North Carolina. That's it for this episode, but don't forget you can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley, and also on my blog at ryanhugley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week with episode number 19 in my conversation with author Cliff Graham. He's the author of the Lion of War series about King David and his mighty men, which are now being turned into multi-million dollar movies. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening. <laughs>